This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. For this Qbert School-centric episode, I picked two books that are about the men uh, that we're going to talk about, not necessarily featuring their work per se. One is comic book creator number two. This is a tribute to Joe Kubert. It's uh, called Joe Kubert Creator and Mentor. This is a 160-page double-size extravaganza featuring uh, the history of the man Joe Kubert, tons of his artwork and stories about him, interviews, plus uh, reminisces from various people that have worked with him and for him over the years, including, uh, I have to say, myself. This is published by Tomorrow's. The, uh, as I said, the page count is 160. The normal price is 17.95. In stock trades price is 14 dollars and 36 cents. You get 200 percent off. This is a really great book. It uh, spans the man's career from his days working comics when he was only 14 till his years as an instructor. It's a really, really great, great book. Uh, comic book creator number two, Joe Kubert, creator and mentor. And the other book I wanted to mention is uh, the All Star Companion Volume Two, which is from also from Tomorrow's. The writer is, of course, Roy Thomas. And uh, this book features it says never before seen Golden Age art by Erwin Hazen, one of my instructors, Carmen Infantino, Alex Toth, Mart, Martin Odell, Paul Reinman, H. G. Peters, and others. And it's basically just a history of the all of the Justice Society in comics. Features a great cover by Carlos Pacheo and Jesus Marino. Uh, the normal price is $24.95. In stock trade price is $14.97. That's 40% off. So you can two great books about uh, the beginnings of uh, the golden age of comics. Really interesting stuff. So for these and all your other trade, trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. We thank them as always for their support. And now on with the show. To a very special episode of the Fire and Water podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rob Kelly from AquamanTrine.net. And as you might have guessed, Shag is off this week. And so I decided 
finally going to pull the trigger on a show that has been much requested, which is an all Kubert School episode. Uh, I've dropped a couple of stories here and there over the years about my experiences there at the at the Joe Kubert School, and so I thought, well, due to various uh, timings, uh, some good and some bad, I thought now's the now's the time to do this episode. Now, joining me is a fellow Joe Kubert School alum, uh, artist and comedian John Trumbull. John, thank you for doing the show. Thanks very much for having me, Rob. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so, yes, as I mentioned, uh, John is an alum of the Joe Kubert School. Now, what class are you, John? Class of 90 what? 97. I was there from uh, fall of 94 to spring of 97. So I was there just a few years after you, I think. Right. I did. I was 89 to 92. Um, so let me just start. Like, what? what – how did you find your way to the Kubert School? I mean, you live in that area, so it was always local to you. But, I mean, how did you find your way sort of as a career path to going to Joe Kubert? Well, I, I live in uh, New Jersey now, but I actually wasn't local to the Kubert School before oh, oh, okay. I went there. Um, the, but the way, but I did come to the school through a local connection. Uh, how I, I'd always seen the school advertised in comics. I, I think it was usually in DC comics. I guess because of Joe's connection with DC. I don't remember seeing the ad in many Marvel comics. Right. But uh, for a couple of years in the early '90s, they had. Uh, like some weekend sessions uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, where I was living at the time. Uh, that was around the time I was in high school. Or no, actually, I, pr- I probably would have been in college then. These were these were like summer sessions that they did. They went to a local hotel, and they had uh, four of the teachers there, and it was sort of like a mini Hubert School session. And the four teachers that. Uh, were there were let's see it was Joe Kubert, um, uh, Erwin Hasten who just uh, unfortunately passed away the right. other day, right? Um, uh, Adam Kubert, Joe's son, and who was the fourth? I think the fourth was High Eisman, if I remember correctly. That's probably right. Yeah, and so they you you do like a half day session with each one of them. You had a homework assignment. Uh, from like the Saturday going into the Sunday, and then they'd critique it the next day. And it was a really interesting experience, and I really felt like, I I remember when I came out of it, I felt like twice the artist I'd been uh, from when I went in there. And uh, since that was such a great experience, I I was really eager to go to the school, and that's what I did after college. So did you want to be a comic book artist beforehand and you sort of found your way to Kubert or was that the Kubert classes helped guide you in that, that direction? I was uh, someone who, who wanted to be a comic book artist from like a very early age. Yeah. I was like drawing from pretty much all of childhood on and comics were what I wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. Right. And at the time the Joe Kubert school was pretty much the only game in town. I mean, there, they had some classes at SVA, the school of visual arts in New York, but that wasn't a full-on the, – the thing that attracted me to Kubert was that it was literally the only school that just taught that. And so it was sort of like if, if you want to do this, this is where you go. Yeah, I don't – I'm not still not sure how extensive SVA's program was. I've always been intrigued by it, and I've talked to a few people who have gone there, but I don't know too much about it. But, I mean, some really cool people have come out of SVA as well. So, um, But, yeah, Kubert was, was pretty much the only game in town. And yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, I mentioned this before on the show, but my first inkling that I've ever you know even heard of the school was in uh, as again as I've mentioned my single favorite comic book of all time, Justice League of America number two hundred, uh, and in probably the, mine as well. Yeah, there you go, and it's the Superman Hawkman chapter, which features lettering by Joe Kubert School. Yes, and that was in nineteen eighty two, so I was eleven, and I remembered looking at that and going, "What is that? What is the Joe? Mm-hmm. What's the Joe Kubert School? You know, I mean, I had no yeah. idea." So Did that's, you know who Joe Kubert was at that Oh, point? yeah. Oh, I was a big fan of Joe. I had no idea what the school – you know what I mean? I just was like, what's mm-hmm. what's a Joe Kubert school? So I looked into it, and then, of course, I said probably saw a lot of the same ads that, that you saw. Um, now, when so when you applied, I'm guessing that you had your portfolio looked at by Joe the, the same way I did? Yes. That's that's kind of a funny story. <laughs> How terrifying is that? That, that was terrifying. Um, actually, you mentioning JLA 200 uh, reminded me of another story. So – I, I could back up a bit and tell that one first, or whichever oh, way you want. Go ahead, to do. whatever you want to do. Okay, well, uh, we're we're about the same age. I was like ten when nine or ten when JLA two hundred came out, and there was a chapter where Hawkman fought Superman. And in in JLA two hundred, they they had uh, full splash pages of each right uh, uh, battle, kind of like uh, I guess Amazing Spider Man uh, number annual one where he's fighting the Sinister Six. And there was this great shot of Superman, like Hawkman fighting Superman. You later find out it's a Superman robot. but um, And when I was really young, I didn't like Joe Kubert's art that much because uh, it wasn't, it, it didn't have the, the sort of slick look that I was into at the time. You know, I was really into like George Perez and Brian Boland and guys like that. And Joe's, like, rougher brush inking just didn't appeal to me at that age. You know, again, I was 10 and I was stupid. Right, right, right. Um, and I remember thinking, like, oh, this guy stinks. I can draw this guy. <laughs> and, wow. And I pulled out um, a, a, a sheet of typing paper, which is what I drew on mostly at the time. And I tried to do my own version of the Superman Hawkman uh, splash page, and I was, I couldn't understand why my version didn't look as good. <laughs> and and later I realized it was because, like, you know, Kubert's layout was so much better, it was so much more dynamic, and, but that was, like, my first inkling of just how good the Joe really was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I, I just think it's it's funny that that was, like, my first kind of encounter with your Kubert. that <laughs> Let me show you a few things, Joe. Here you go. Yeah. Let me show you the way you are good in your day, old man. But, uh, <laughs> this 10-year-old's going to show you what's what. <laughs> but for me, um, when I came up to uh, interview at the at the Kubert School, I was I was in my senior year of college in Indiana at the time. I was going to the University of Evansville, and so I was flying up to New Jersey to interview. And a lot of the, the phone, a lot of the students who interview uh, just interview by phone, from what I understand. They send in their portfolio, they review it over the phone, and that's that. But I really wanted to see the place before I went up for three years of my life. Um, and the, the morning I was flying up, my dad calls me and says, there's a big blizzard going on in New Jersey. Do you still want to do this? And I was like, yeah, it'd be a big hassle to reschedule, so let's still do that. And I went up, and um, I, I was I was basically snowed into my hotel room. I think the only time I really left my hotel room 
was to interview at the school where I took a cab to the school and then took a cab back to my hotel. And as it turns out, the fellow who usually did the interviews, Michael Chen, Mm -hmm. who's uh, Mm -hmm. uh, still at the school and still a wonderful person, an old friend of mine. uh, He's the guy who usually did the interviews. He was snowed in and couldn't make it in. So that morning I get a call my hotel room from Mike Chen saying, Hey, I can't make it into the school. So you're going to interview with Joe Kubert. <laughs> now, by this time I'm like, uh, 21 and I have, you know, an appreciation for who Joe is. So I'm rightfully intimidated. And, uh, to top things off, uh, my luggage had been lost on the way, uh, on my flight up. I still had my portfolio with me because I did that as a carry-on, but I didn't have a change of clothes. I didn't have any toiletries. Oh, man. Welcome um, to New Jersey. Yeah, exactly. So I, I I ended up interviewing in the ratty clothes I'd flown up in the day before. It was like, you know, torn jeans, a T-shirt. Oh, man. Like a, oh. Wow. A ratty button-down shirt over that. And uh, Joe had Joe had heard about that, and he was he was very nice. He was like, I think practically the first thing he said to me was, "Well, we heard you had a little trouble getting up." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. Um, and he was he was very nice. Uh, it was a it was a good interview. I ended up getting in, of course. Um, and then, of course, like right when I got back to my hotel room, that's when my suitcase was there waiting for me. <laughs> as soon as I didn't need it anymore. So it, it was a trifle intimidating. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I remember sitting with him and like, you know, right over his shoulder was uh, his cover to Superman versus Muhammad Ali. The, yeah, right. Because the, he did the original cover and then they yeah, decided, the original layout. Yeah, the original layout and they went to Neil Adams. From, so yeah. it's like that's one of my favorite comics of all time. So here's this giant original right over his shoulder. Yeah. And I still remember some of the artwork that I showed Joe. And I'm just like, I <laughs> cannot believe I had the balls to show. And it's not balls. You didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, yeah. To show these chicken scratch Crayola drawings to Joe Kubert. I mean, I just look back at it now. and I'm like, what were you like? You know, that's what I had at the time. But it's just insane to think you're almost wasting this man's time showing these ridiculous doodles to this legendary figure. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 It's I'm sure he saw worse than both of us, though. I guess so, yeah. I mean, probably not much worse. But um, So you got in. You obviously mm-hmm. you got in. Yeah. Um, now when, so when you moved out, did you live in the housing? Yes. Okay. I, uh, for the first year, they, they only housed the first year. Right, you only have the first year, right, yeah. Uh, and I was in the carriage house, which is oh. <laughs> just a little ways away from you know, the, the mansion, the right, right? school was. And there was there was also the Clinton House, which was a little ways away. I That's only, where I lived. Was the Clinton House? Yeah, that was. Where was that? Was that around Route 15 or something? Uh, you know, I don't even remember. But, but yeah, it was the mansion and the carriage house were right next to each other, and then the school. Yeah. The school was somewhat equidistant between the two, from what I kind of remember. Well, the school was just like a few blocks away. You could reach yeah, there, and yeah, you know, we, five, we, yeah, we used to walk there sometimes. And when we when our, mm-hmm. our, the one friend that didn't have a car, we used to walk there. So you could get there by walk. It wasn't wasn't ideal, but you could do it. Yeah, yeah. Now I remember the carriage house as being like a crack den. I mean, just being so, you know, like just sort of like shitty drapes and like the sun peaking. I just remember it being really horrible. Was it as Pretty bad? Pretty much. As I remember? Okay, Pretty yeah. Pretty much. Um, it was. It was not a a good place. It was in. Uh, disrepair. There was like, 
there were like two sides um, to it. There was about, I think about a dozen of us living all together. And there was like one payphone. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have a landline. We had a payphone. That's right. We had that at the, we had that too at the carriage house. That's right. At the Clinton house. That's right. Just, and uh, I remember like when we first moved in, there wasn't even like, there wasn't a shower curtain in the bathroom. And <laughs> yeah, there were some interesting experiences that we had. <laughs> yeah. When we, when we went up there, my parents took me up there and this is, you know, the first time I'm living away from home. And my mother is a very, very clean person. She is very, very, you know, keeps a very neat house and is very well kept and everything else. And, uh, well, two different things. First of all, when we, when we took the tour of the school the first time, when I, I went with my friend Doug, and him and I were both thinking about going to the Cupid, and him and, it was him and his mom and me and my parents. And at one point we walked down the stairway, and my mom ran her finger on the banister and said, this place could use a maid. Uh huh. Out loud, and I was just like, "Oh my God, Mom, shut up!" And then so uh, we go to the the Clinton house, and I move in, and the place is just terrible. It's just filthy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there was so much soap scum in the shower that somebody carved the words "Clean Me," <laughs> which made my mother so upset. And I found out later that my mother cried the entire car ride home. Oh she lord! She was so upset of leaving her baby in this dump, you know, <laughs> this, yeah. this complete dump. And in fact, she was so bothered by the 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 shower being uh, that way, she went in and bought cleanser and cleaned it <laughs> uh, because she just <laughs> could not, yeah, you know, she just could not live with that. She was so upset by it. Yeah, um, I actually, I, I somehow because of the the lack of the shower curtain in our bathroom, I got roped into uh, calling the person who is. It's supposed to be our, our contact for uh, things like that. There was like a sign by the, the the payphone that said something like, you know, if you need anything or, you know, you have a problem, there's a housing issue or you just want to talk, call this number. Huh. Wow, and, I never had that. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll call this person and let them know that we, you know, there's not a shower curtain. We could really use that since we have all these people here. And he immediately – Got in my face and was like, hey, this number is for emergencies only. <laughs> and I was like, well, you then you maybe want to get rid of this sign that says, you know, call us up if you have any problems <laughs> or just want to talk. Um, I did never heard that. So he was, not, he was not a, a, a very friendly person. Um, I'll... I'll omit his name, but... Uh, okay, all right, you're going to have to tell me off air who that is, and I'm dying yeah. to find out who that is. Yeah, oh, I'll tell you who it is. Okay, all right. I'll, hey, guy, everybody's listening to the show. I'll mention it at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, one of the, the th- one of the things that, that definitely did not endear me to the place at the time was that it was kind of pretty a pretty cheap outfit. I mean, in terms of, like, like you mentioned, the payphone and the Clinton house was really run down and they crammed a lot of how many guys lived in the carriage house do you remember we had something it was like around twi- a dozen that's um, about what we had in the Clinton house yeah. it was it was it was maybe between 12 and 15 i don't remember exactly but it it really felt to me like you know like being stuck in a season of the real world <laughs> it like you get a real interesting dynamic at the Kubert school because it's a whole student body and it was like 150 students in in my first year. Um, it was like the biggest class they'd had in a while. And it, it's a student body pretty much completely composed of people who didn't fit in in high school. Yep. 
you know, for, you know, they're nerds, they're geeks, they're, you know, they're people kind of on the fringes. And it's, it was interesting to see that. And you'd, you'd still see like clicks form, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You'd see like, there were, there were like the popular Kubert students. And then there were like the, the really nerdy Kubert students. And then there were, you know, like the, the burgeoning criminal Kubert students. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yep. And you know, but but it, so it was this weird sort of hierarchy of geeks, and I, I've really I've long thought like a sociologist could go to the Kubert School and just write a good book <laughs> about all the dynamics that you see there. Yeah, I mean, it seems ridiculous when you think about it that there was, you know, sort of the quote unquote cool guys mm-hmm. at the Kubert School, and you're like, guys, we're all here to draw comic books. None yeah. of us are cool. Yeah, exactly. None of us are cool, and yet that did happen. That you were completely right. There were these weird groups of like. You know, hey, we're the kind of beer drinking, pot smoking, cool guys, and they're the nerd. And we're like, guys, we're all sitting here drawing Wolverine. What the hell? It's, you know? It, it reminds me, I think it was an old Howard Shaken quote. He said, like, being the world's greatest comic artist is a lot like being the world's tallest midget. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is an accomplishment, but you know, nobody really cares. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. So, yeah, that's, I, I mean, but, but it was, it was an interesting time because, you know, you, there and also there's a lot of there's a lot of competition. There's there's a healthy competition and then there's there can be a less healthy competition yeah. too. And I think a lot of that came from for a lot of Kubert students, drawing was what set them apart and you know, what it was one of the things that made them special. And then you suddenly you come to a place where everybody can draw to some degree. Yep. You know, and so suddenly you're not quite so special. And there were some people in in my years that were that got very threatened by that you know and they got very competitive and like by my third year there was there was like a deep fracture in my class i mean it was we were a lot of us were just were not getting along with each other very well and they did very two-faced things you know and it, it you know it's i always thought that was a shame you know, yeah, that's... I, that's funny. That's interesting you say that. Yeah, I remember yeah. on my my first night there, uh, and we all – all of us – not all of us, but like a small group of us at the Clinton House got together, and we all started showing each other our work. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys was my, – my roommate was this guy named Sean Tiffany who is an artist now. He does a webcomic called Oil Can Drive, and mm-hmm. he was – you know, and and uh, the, the guys in the next room over, one of them was Dan O'Connor, who draws like, Ace Kilroy, and everyone knows how good Dan is. So uh, these guys are pulling out their stuff, and it is so much better than what I had. Yeah. But I remember thinking, oh, my God, it's, class hasn't even started yet, and I'm already 10 leagues behind these guys. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was, I, it was a very scary opening because I just thought, you're right. It's like, you know, back when I was in school, in high school, I was the best artist anybody knew. And all of a sudden, yeah. now I'm at the lowest end of this you know, spectrum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, Oh boy. <laughs> you know, like... they, it, with my class, they tried an experiment the second year. Um, so like they, they divvied you up into different classes. And as I said, my class, we started with 150 students. So, uh, the first year we had, uh, five classes of 30, um, or, or about that. So we had like, you know, one, a one B one C one D one E Second year, um, some students didn't come back. Right, right. Um, so we had three classes, and we had you know two A, two B, and two C. And they decided to try something where they they divvied up the classes by what they judged to be the level of ability. 
Really? So, so yeah. Oh, so they wow. had like, you know, they had the really, um, you know, they thought the real advanced students in, uh, I don't remember what the, the various ones, but you know, and then the, the, the medium level talents and then the folks who needed a, a little more uh, assistance in one. And that, but the problem was that everybody kind of figured out what they were doing. Yeah. Ooh, that, that sounds like a big kind of and painful. That, and I think that was a big thing that really fractured the class to some degree, you know. And then by the time we got into third year and it was just two classes, it was, it was bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if, if you talk to the people who were there then and are still at the school now, they'll, they'll say that that was kind of a miserable failure. But, yeah, yeah, that you know, sounds like a, I mean, I understand the idea behind that, but that Oh, does, yeah, that I mean, it was well-intentioned, of course. Right, had, but, but on a... Intentions, because they wanted to give everybody the kind of help that they needed, and they thought, you know, if we divvy it up, I mean, it makes a perfect logical sense, but it just, it did not work in practice. No, on a, on I don't, a, know, if it, yeah. I don't yeah. know if I've ever tried it since. Yeah, oh, that's, oh, boy. Yeah, that would be awful, because, I mean, yeah. just socially, that just dags Because I, I talked to... You know, like I, I talked to a couple guys who were in, like I think you know what was I guess considered the bottom rung class. I, I hate to, I hate to even call it that, but you, you know, were you were obviously not in that class. I, I, I was in the advanced class. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how to say that without sounding like it's. That's bragging, all right. Go but, ahead, John. That's fine. Um. But you know, but I mean, I was I was one of the guys who who hadn't come to the school out of high school. I I'd like gone to college and I'd gotten a degree in graphic design before, so I'd I'd had more of an art background than a lot of the other people there. Um, but like, I talked to some of the guys who were in like say the bottom class, and it and for some of them it really killed their motivation, you know. And because like one guy I remember he was saying, you know, he was like, I knew I wasn't the best guy in our first year class, but like. I saw guys like like you and 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 Lawson Wallace and and this other guy and you know they really motivated me to to do better to try harder and they didn't have as much motivation to do that when when they were in the second year and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I think some people's work really suffered for that. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. No. They. We. We did not do that. Like we. We had about a hundred. We had a hundred students when we started. Mm-hmm. And then second year we dropped down to fifty, and then the third year we were down to twenty five. Um, yeah. So we, we, were, we were down to like forty or fifty by third year, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were, and they did not, they did not bifurcate us by talent. Luckily, that would have mm-hmm. been that would have been pretty nasty. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just it was something new they were trying, and I, I'm I don't think they did that again ever. Hmm. But. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the, the things that I – I'm kind of jumping ahead a little, but it's one of the mm-hmm. things I was thinking about was like when I was there, I mean, the first two years, I was just so far behind in terms of just, just raw drawing ability. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't keep up. You know, I mean, it's – everybody's moving around the same pace and, and you know – it, it is a grind. I, I, I yeah. think maybe we should say if, if you haven't – I don't know if you've established this for your listeners before, but it is a grind because you're, you're taking 10 – classes yeah. 10 different classes you have homework in all of those classes so it's it's 10 classes five days a week two classes a day yep and those are i, I forget how it breaks down like they were like what two hours 45 minutes a piece yeah it was like eight from like 9 a.m to 
noon and then from like one to four or something like that. I remember that, you know, so yeah, it, it was like a school. It was like going to school and like, and you know, you got like dinged if you were late. Yeah, you only uh, they, got a half hour for lunch. They had bells. I mean, it was very much like high school in a lot of ways. And the the woman that ran the the, the sort of the administrator was Debbie Kubert, yes. which was Joe's not his daughter. I think it's his daughter in law. Daughter in law. Daughter in law. And she was. We just thought she was Ilsa, she wolf of the SS, because it was. She I would, would not disagree with that. Yeah, there you go. Because she was just kind of mean. And, you know, I remember thinking, like, I was getting yelled at. I was very rarely late. I'm very rarely late to anything. But once in a while I was. Mm-hmm. And I remember she was like, well, you're going to get noted down for this. And I remember thinking, you know what? I'm paying to be here. <laughs> if yeah. I want to be late, I can friggin' be late. Like, what? A, like what? you know, like, what a weird and attitude to have about it. How old were you when you were there, Rob? Uh, 18 to 21. Okay, yeah, I, I was as I said, I went to college before, so I was like I was twenty one when I got there. Actually, would have just turned twenty two, so I was there from like twenty two to twenty five, and uh, one of my best friends from the school, uh, Boston Wallace, who's who's a excellent excellent artist, one of the best I've ever yep. met. Yep. Um, and he he was he, he's like two and a half years older than me, so he was like uh, twenty four, twenty five. When he was there and, you know, we really didn't take well to going, you know, more or less going back to high school. I mean, it was run more or less like a high school because it was in an old high school. Yes, it was. Yep. Um, and yeah, you had bells and things like that. And and yeah, so he and I, we both had some run ins with the administration because of that, because, yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't take too well to that going back four or five years. Yeah. It just kind of just felt like, why am I being treated like this now? I mean, you know, some of the guys were kind of out of control and I could see why you needed kind of a stern hand on some of them, but Oh, definitely. It did seem just a little strange to kind of be like, Hey man, you know, I, I, let me, if I'm Hey, if I'm late, I'm late, you know, that's, I mean, so, I mean, and there were some classes where, you know, you wouldn't dare be late anywhere. I'm going to be dare be late for Joe Kubert's class, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So what the hell? I mean, you know, that you're going to be motivated to do. That, that was another thing is like, you, you kind of, you, you, there are levels you, there were, you know, I hate to say it, but there were some classes you took more seriously than others. Absolutely. You know, because you, you kind of learned like, you know, which teachers had tolerance for stuff and which teachers would let things go more or yep. which, which ones you could learn the most from. So yeah, you learn, you really learned how to prioritize your classes. Like, Oh, well I'm doing this thing for, for Jose and uh, Delbo and basic drawing. I better not screw this up, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, or Joe Kubert or, you know, I, I always like, I got a lot from uh, Kim DeMolder's class. He taught us methods and materials I think that's what I had him for. I had him for yeah. that, and I had him for nat, uh, for life drawing. One I year. had him for life drawing. Um, yeah, that was like second or third year that I had him for life drawing. Kim, Kim at the time when we had him was inking the Robocop comic for Marvel. Yeah. And he would show us the uh, pencil pages that the uh, artist, apparently him and the penciler would add – just for shits and giggles, add nipples to every woman in the page, and then some editor would go and wipe them out. So he would show us <laughs> the page. Like Jim. Yeah, he would that show us. Like he would show us the pages and be like, "Look at this guy's nipple, 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 nipple." And then he would show us the book, and they're all gone. We're like, "Oh, Kim, uh, okay, Kim." He inked uh, John Byrne's She-Hulk graphic novel, the That's one right. where she goes on the Shield helicarrier, and uh, yeah, Kim added some nipples yeah. on some pages in that. 
and uh, I don't. Burn was not happy with about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it was funny. But there Kim's was, a great guy. I love he was. There yeah. was there was one when I had him for life class one year, and I had a T-shirt at the time that had the Abbey Road cover on it, mm-hmm. and he sort of saw it and sort of shook his head dismissively and said, "How old were you when that album came out?" And I was like, uh, "I wasn't born yet, Kim." And he just looked <laughs> so dejected because for anyone who hasn't seen him, Kim is like. The prototypical old hippie. He's this aging hippie. Yeah. He, he has short hair now, but when we had him, he had like, you know, long hair, like down to his shoulders, a full beard. Yeah. You know, just, he was like just starting to go gray, I think, when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. but, you know, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet in your life. Yeah. I always got along with him. I always got and along with him. Kim, well. Kim was a great teacher to have because he was, and not, a, a thing about the Cuber School to remember is that it's not necessarily certified teachers. It was its professional artists. You you have different levels of teaching ability, and you know so, some were really great, some were natural teachers, some had a background in teaching, and uh, but but like something that Kim was particularly good at was whatever piece you put up there. It could be the most spectacular thing uh, in the world. It could be the most horrible hacked out thing in the world. But Kim would always find something good to say about it and something bad to say about it, some constructive criticism, mm-hmm. and. There was one time when, like, a student, I don't even remember what the student was or what the assignment was, but he put out something, and it was obvious he he just hacked it out in a very short amount of time, didn't do a good job on it, and he was aware of it, and he wasn't trying to pull one over on Kim. And, you know, like, it was it was sort of like, well, what what is what good thing is Kim going to find to say about this thing? Because <laughs> I don't think anybody, including the person who did it, thought it was any good. And Kim was like, the borders are ruled very nicely. <laughs> <laughs> so he always found something. But, you know, and he also always found something that you could you could have done better, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, then, now, okay, now, the, when you say speaking of hacking something out, this is what makes me think of this. And this was part of the reason that I wanted to do this this week uh, mm-hmm. because of Adele. Uh, we, as you mentioned, Erwin Hazen just passed away a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, at age 96, I mean, God bless him, 96, that's a great run. You can't ask for much better than no. that. No, uh, and he, you know, was 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 working and, you know, had, was, you know, as far as I understand, pretty vital. He had a graphic novel come out just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, well, so... What was the title of that? Was it Loverboy? I think so, yeah. I mean, okay. and that's the other thing. We had heard stories about Irwin. Yeah. That Now, for anyone who hasn't seen him, anyone who's listening to this probably has seen him at this point because you've probably seen some obituaries, but he looked like one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, if you painted him blue, uh, to me, he looked like, you know. He, he, kinda, he was he was a very short guy. He was like five foot two. Yep. Uh, you know, white hair when we knew him, like right. balding up top. Right. And, yeah, he just, he just has this, you know, cherubic jolly sort of quality to him you couldn't you couldn't dislike Irwin, you know right he would so he would tell us stories and and hint at things about that apparently for a guy who you know just in terms of his stature wasn't wasn't exactly errol flynn right got a lot of action mm-hmm. i mean he seemed to <laughs> i believe that's what his graphic novel was about exactly so, so i mean we were kind of like fascinated by these stories and there was and we i always enjoyed his honesty because there was a point where he was talking about Dondi. And it and it came because of course he drew Don did for years. Yeah, yeah. did the comic strip did for years. And it came up once that there was a Dondi movie, and yes. this is in this is in nineteen ninety ninety one. So this is you know video right. video cassettes are out, but but the movie the, was like the fifties or sixties. The movie was in the early sixties, so I mean it, it was one of those just forgotten movies. And we were like we were all really impressed. We we're like wow, there was a Don, and he was in it. He apparently had a walk on or something. 
And okay. he's like in the background in some scene. I and think we, I remember him talking about that. Yes. Right. And we were like, wow. And we were all like so impressed that there was a Dondi movie, right? And we're like, was, mm-hmm. it, was it good? And he just goes, nah, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> and we're like, you know, like was, that was so impressive to hear him just be completely yeah. unromantic about it. We're like, oh, okay. He did not mince words. <laughs> no, he did not. And the, the thing that the, the one story I wanted to tell about Irwin um, that I, I oh, we always think about this is it was an assignment he gave us where and I don't, maybe he gave this. Do you have him as a teacher? I did. I had him. Ooh, um, I think first and third year. It all it all sort of blends together because we're talking about like twenty years ago now. Right. But yeah, I did have him as a teacher. Okay, so we had him, and an assignment he gave us was to draw a house in three different. Uh, seasons, the same house mm-hmm. in three seasons. So you had to draw the house three times, uh, like fall, winter, and summer. You know, right. and so we're like, the, I guess the point of it was to be, you know, to have the same image and show the differences or whatever. Consistency so, and yeah, right, exactly. And so we all come in the next week with this thing, and mine was terrible because it was boring. It was a boring assignment, and I just just hacked through it. My friend, mm-hmm. my friend Dan, not Dan O'Connor, another friend named Dan, drew. These three houses worthy of like architectural digest. I mean, uh-huh. they were just met like the horizon lines were perfect, the perspective was perfect, and then on top of it, he had all the leaves and the snow and the whole bit. I mean, he just really went to town on this thing. And then the third person, or my my roommate Sean, drew one picture, cut into three panels. Uh huh. And he drew the left part of the house in summer, the right. middle part of the house in fall. And the right part of the house in winter. Right. And we were like, you cheated. You yeah, can't, yeah. You can't do that. The whole thing was to draw three. And we're like, you are in such trouble because you cheated. And he's like, well, maybe so, blah, blah. So we all put our stuff up. And he gets to mine and he makes some comment that I don't even remember because, again, mine was not even worth commenting on. He goes to Dan's. And Dan is waiting for this great compliment because Dan has drawn these houses that you could live in. Mm-hmm. And Irwin just kind of went. All right, this is good. Blah, 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 blah. And then he gets to Sean's, and we're all like, okay, here it comes. He's going to rip Sean a new one. And he goes, this one's brilliant. And we're all like, <laughs> of what? You know, of we're like, and Sean's like, ha ha. We're like, god damn it. And the, the whole reason he thought it was brilliant is because, and this was something that you had to learn. Part of the reason you were going there to learn was how to be a commercial artist. And it was like, Sean learned how to get the assignment done with the least amount of work possible, but still making it look really good. Right, and right. We, that was a hard lesson because we were just so mad at Sean. We like, sure, sure. You know, God damn it! And he just he had this <laughs> grin on his face of like, ha ha. Was like, oh man. And I think I don't think I ever quite forgave Erwin for that. <laughs> it was the, just like, you know, the best thing at the Cupert School was when you could figure out a way to use the assignment for one class <laughs> to fulfill the assignment for another class. Yeah, that's right. Like, when you did that, that was like winning the lottery. <laughs> you figured out a way that it could satisfy the parameters of both assignments, this thing that you'd already done. And, yeah, I remember uh, it was like second year. I, it was like something I'd done for, I think, methods and materials or something like that. And I, I recycled that and used it in another uh, uh, class because it was like a square composition and, and the assignment was for like an album cover. And I was like... Mm-hmm. Well, this this guy I drew, he kind of looks like the lead singer at Hootie and the Blowfish. So, yeah, it's a Hootie and the Blowfish album. <laughs> oh, man. And, yeah. And uh, that was, you know, those are those were occasionally the, the corners you had to cut. Because, like, you know, it, like, again, 10 classes, homework in every single one. So you're drawing 
hours a night. Yep. And, you know, and you had to, you know, get in sleep there sometime. <laughs> That's funny you mentioned that. Now, did you have did you have a problem hitting your deadlines? Was that a, was that an ongoing? Because there were some guys, I'm sure you had dealt, dealt with it too. There were some guys who just could not make their deadline. They just could do it, no matter what, no matter how much time you gave them, they could not turn it in on time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have to be honest and say yes, I did have uh, uh, an issue with deadlines, um, and I, you know, for for me it was it was. Uh, usually because I was like trying to make it as good as I possibly could. You know, I wanted like every damn thing I did to be the best thing I ever did. And that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, you know? And, and, you know, if, if it was going to be late, I wanted to make it sure that it was really, really worth the wait. And, uh, the thing that they would do at the Cubert school, what most teachers did this, I think not everyone did was if you turn something in late, like for each day it was late, it, they would drop it a grade. Right, and C- minus was the worst you could get. There was right, no it wasn't worst on an A to F grading scale, it was an A to C. So, yeah, so A plus was the best, and C- minus was the very worst. So, yeah, so it didn't pay to, like, have something be more than a day or two late, because then you'd automatically be down to a C. Right, no matter how good it was, it was going to Exactly, be exactly, you know, and, you know, because they, rightfully so, they really want to drill into your head. You know, the the best art in the world is worth nothing if it's late. So, right. yeah. So, you know, but I, w- I would try to, uh, like, turn something in as wonderful as I could make it. And then and then sometimes, uh, like, a teacher would be like, well, you know, I ought to count off for this, but you did, you did such a great job. I can't really. And that, that got, like, some other students bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt like, and, and I understood where their objections were coming from, but uh, at the same time, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, tell them to lower my grade? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and, yeah, and at one point, like, during that extremely fractured time that I was talking about, like, in, in I think this was second or third year, one of the other students, uh, in particular, I think was, was very bent out of shape about uh, what he thought was, like, a chronic problem with me messing deadlines and he thought I wasn't being properly penalized about it. And he actually, wow. he actually went to the office and I think he talked to Joe about it. Oh my God. And we, had, we ended up having like this big meeting with, I think more or less the, the whole student body. And, you know, Joe was kind of talking to us, but I, you know, and I think it was supposed to, you know, and he, he was, and Joe was saying, as I recall, it was more of like, you know, don't really worry about, the other guy or what's going on with yeah, the other guy about yourself yeah, and wow. all that. But, and he was like kind of trying to, to get us back together, you know, and get the morale to where it should have been and, and all that. Um, but we were just too far gone at that point. Huh. <laughs> and yeah, it was, uh, it was not a happy time. It was, I mean, it's the giver's goal. It's like an intense experience, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I had a point there, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you spend a lot of time with these guys yeah. in, in close proximity and, and tempers run high and yeah. temp- right. And I mean, you know, uh, uh, like there were guys I knew that just could, like I said, could not make deadlines no matter what you did. And I, and some of that always kind of confused me a little because my attitude was always, look, you know, I go to bed at, you know, whatever it is, 11 o'clock at night, I get up mm-hmm. at seven, but if I'm really stuck, I won't go to, you know, I'll stay up late. And there were other guys I knew that were like, 
I, you know, the next day I'm like, oh, did you get this thing done? And they were like, no, I didn't finish it. And I'm like, oh, blah, blah, blah. and they'll say, you know, I went to bed at 11 and it wasn't done. I'm like, well, why didn't you just stay up? And they were just like, but I go to bed at 11. Like that was an immutable law of the universe. And I used to kind of be like, well, just go to bed at midnight and get it done. You know, like I was, yeah, exactly, I was, I was looked exactly. at, I always looked at your sleep schedule as somewhat spongible. Yeah. And you know, yeah. you could be like, all right, I'm going to be really tired today, but at the very least this thing will be done because yeah, you didn't want to get a failing, you know, I, one of the guys that I, I knew there, I won't, again, I won't say his name. I don't think he's in the industry. So it's like anybody would know the name anyway, but nevertheless, he was, I knew with this guy, he could draw a Spider-Man uh, as, and I'm not exaggerating, as good as like John Romita in 1968. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. as good and iconic and beautiful. And I remember looking over his shoulder, or over his desk one day at the Spider-Man he was drawing, swinging, the, you know, swinging through the with the web and stuff. And it was just beautiful. I mean, it was as beautiful mm-hmm. as anything you'd ever see. You know, you could just see if Marvel saw that, they'd be like, hire this guy. The problem was, it took him a week to draw one figure. Mm. And it was like, that's the problem. This figure in the world of commercial art is useless uh, because it takes you a week. Now, if you want to be a fine artist, you know, you want to be Basquiat or you want to be Banksy, Mm -hmm. that's fine. But that's not what this school is about. And on my – the first day of – I forget what class it was. We had a teacher named Pat Gallagher. Uh, who taught – again, I forget didn't, what – Didn't have that person. Okay. Well, yeah. He – the first day he walked in and without any uh, intro or explanation, he just went into the Wallywood Maxism, which was never draw what you can copy, never mm-hmm. copy what you can trace, never right. trace what you can cut out and paste down. And, and never do any of that if you can find – pay an assistant to do it for you. I, I, he didn't even add that part. But I remember when he told us that. Mm-hmm. We're all looking at each other like, right, blah, 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 you know, like we're we're artists. We'd never do such a thing. Oh man, three months in, you know, you're just right. copying everything because you just realize the deadline is crushing you, and it's mm-hmm. just got to get done. But man, that first day we were such full of ourselves. We were just like, I would never do that. And then by that point, you're just copying anything you can and get it done. Well, yeah, I mean, it's re- it's really like you know, kind of comic book boot camp yep. in a way. Yeah, you know, not to. Uh, not to denigrate like people who were actually in the military, but you know, it's it's the comic book world equivalent of that. You know? Oh like, yeah, we used to say this is our Vietnam, guys. You know, <laughs> I mean, not to not to not to be a little exaggerating about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we because I mean, you know, again, we you spend a lot of time and you get in fights with people and you get now. It sounds like you guys were a lot a lot more fractious than 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 we are. We were, we were, and I'm yeah. Um, it was just yeah, it was. And I, I, it's really unfortunate that it, it got that way with my class, you know. Um, it was just, you know, a lot of egos mm-hmm. at stake and, and some personality conflicts, and it, it's just it's just a shame, you know. So you guys, I'm guessing, now I should, we should explain uh, the town that the school is in is in Dover, New Jersey, which mm-hmm. there's nothing there. There is Rick Beach in an interview in the Comics Journal called it the armpit of the East Coast. And that's thought, about right. Yeah, that sums it up beautifully. It's it's just a very depressed town. There's nothing exciting to do now. I was eighteen. A remarkable number of auto parts stores. Yeah, there's only yeah, that's true. I, <laughs> I, I used to say a lot of citizens here were limping. A lot of people <laughs> limping for some yeah. undetermined reason. And and the neighborhood is has I don't know if this was happening in your time. It's it's really uh, changed over. It's it's like that area. Uh, it, that town is like largely Latino now. Right. It was. It was when we were there too. Yeah. And they, they clearly like, did not enjoy us being there. 
And it was, yeah, it was like, it was transitioning over into that when, you know, we were there. But yeah, it's it's almost completely Latino now. People used to have guys yell at us at stuff in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know Spanish. I don't know Spanish. But you could tell by the tone, it was not friendly. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, okay, I could tell by his facial contortion, this is not a friendly thing he's saying to me now. So, you know, and again, a lot of us were under 21. So you mm-hmm. couldn't, you couldn't drink. Uh, not that I really drank much. Anyway, so there wasn't a lot to do other than, and it sounds like you guys didn't socialize a whole lot. We, our group, all we did was buy comics and go to the movies. Like that was oh, we, it. We did that too. I oh, mean, did. We, okay. I, I'm, you know, I'm maybe exaggerating. I mean, we hung with our own circles. I okay. remember one of my fondest memories actually of the Kubert school was, uh, I was, it was in 1996 and it was when, uh, the first issue of kingdom come came out. And, uh, so, uh, of course, everybody in the school was, like, eagerly anticipating this because, you know, it was, like, Alex Ross, the guy who did Marvels, and it's DC Comics in the future, and, and you know, we were all so excited about it. And we had, like, a half hour for lunch, which was just enough time to, like, drive over to the Rockaway Mall, which still had a right. comic shop there. Um, you know, not a great comic shop. I don't even remember the name of it, but it was the closest one we could get to. And we were you know, all driving over there to buy our copies of Kingdom Come. And um, there was some talk. It was like, oh, you know, it's still kind of a tight trip. We're going to be kind of late for afternoon classes. And then we, like, look over, and Mike Chen is there. <laughs> the <stuff laughs> buying his own copy of Kingdom Come. And it's like, I think we'll be all right. <laughs> um, and uh, one of my memories, I was driving back uh, to the school because I was the only one who had a car with my buddies, Lawson Wallace and Andy Park. And they were both, of course, reading their copies of Kingdom Come and being like, oh, man, look at this. What, what is this? And I'm driving, so, of course, I can't see this. I'm like, what? What's going on? <laughs> and they were, they were, of course, loving it and rubbing it in every step of the way. See, now, uh, when we were there, uh, that was the year, one of the years that the DC put out the Legends of the Dark Knight book. Uh-huh. Which they were big promoting as like, hey, this is the first new Batman number one in ten years. Which is like, imagine that now, like you know, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. But when DC put that out, uh, they had all the multiple covers. They had multiple covers, but it had it was the same cover but different colors, different neon colors, different neon different, colors, exactly. Neon pink, neon blue, exactly. Really orange, yeah. green, yellow, magenta, or something. None of right? them were really Batmany colors. No, right, exactly. <laughs> but it was the eighties, so so we, we all bought it. We all bought this comic. I don't know if I did, but anyway, a bunch of us bought this comic and was we're driving back one of these guys that we that we went to school with named Chuck, he bought twenty five copies, five of each color. Well sure, because they're gonna be worth exactly. millions. Exactly. We're like, Chuck, why did you do that? He's like, these are gonna be valuable someday. We're like, no they're not. Like they're not like you know, and now those things are probably worth a dollar. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. like oh man, like you you sucker. You know, like jeez. <laughs> um it was, now, um, God, we're, we're, we're bopping around. So I, I have so much other things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, but, like, one of the things – did you have – you had Jose Delbo, right? Yes, I okay. loved Jose. Jose was wonderful. See, now that's funny you say that because I had a problem with Jose. Uh, Jose had a problem with one of the students in my class, but you tell your okay, story and I'll right. tell mine. My thing was this, was – I mean, I always thought he was – an okay artist, you know, I didn't think he was all that, but I respected the fact that he was a professional, certainly. Mm-hmm. But we had an assignment once where we had to pick a book, a, a, a prose book, mm-hmm. and illustrate, do spot illustrations, three spot illustrations from the book. So pick, okay. th- pick three moments 
and do spot illustrations. I don't know if I had this. Okay. Assignment. So I picked Shane. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. And I was like, okay, you know, like this is kind of I don't a think fun. I even realized that was a book. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh. it's a very thin book, but it's, it's, it's a great okay. book. And I was like, you know. Because the whole point partly was obviously not to do superheroes. You're doing because you know there was like prose novel superhero. Yeah, books. Jose was big on having us do other drawing, uh, other genres. Right. He 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 always wanted us to learn how to draw horses. Yeah. Well, okay. Here it is. And he'd always threatened yeah. to have us draw the charge of the light brigade. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I picked Shane, and I picked these three moments, and one of the moments that I pick is a description of Shane as he approaches through the desert. And I decided I thought it would be more interesting to not show Shane's face. And so I did a bird's eye view of Shane on his horse. So you see the hands holding the bridle and the horse mm-hmm. and his legs and the hat, but you don't see his face because of the way of the am- the camera angle is. And I thought a it gave Shane some more mystery that mm-hmm. you sort of see the guy but you don't really uh, and I also thought, you know, points for ingenuity that I made the effort to draw a horse and a guy from this, you know, odd angle. And I thought it was like a really interesting way of going about it. And he looked at it and he's like, no, 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 redo this. You need to show Shane. And I said, right. well, I'm like, well, I don't think you need to show Shane. I'm choosing to go this route with it. And he's like, no, 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 you need to change it. And I'm like, no, I don't, I, I don't think so. And he's like, you you change it or I'm going to give you a failing grade. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, I ain't changing it. So give me a failing grade. And he gave me a failing grade for that assignment. And I never really forgave him at that point because, and I sort of, it's probably not the nicest thing, but I sort of dismissed him from then on because my attitude was that's subjective. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not objective. That's not, Hey man, you drew six fingers on a hand. That's wrong. I was like, you're asking me to use my artistic eye to interpret a scene, and this is how I'm choosing to interpret it. It can't right. be wrong. It can be, I'm, you know. I'm wondering if he just thought, if he was coming from a place like, this is your lead character, you have to establish him. You know, I think that's I mean, what it was, but I just yeah. felt like a failing grade was kind of a harsh thing because I just thought, you know. But I mean, like I said, it, it, I was probably just as wrong as he was, but in, in my mind, I was like, I'm done with this guy. And I think after that, I just just blew off his like i just did the minimum mm-hmm. because i was like screw this guy i just I, forget i can understand that i i've i had experiences like that not with jose but with other teachers mm-hmm. i actually had had uh uh i went through that a bit with joe because i realized i didn't have joe as a teacher until third year right me too uh joe kubert uh, i think he was only teaching third year by yeah, the time yeah. we were there he was he was doing much more when the school started in the 70s but you know he had his own career and he was also running the school, so, yep. um, you know, his time is limited. And I realized, as we said before, um, you, the grades were always from an A to C scale. And so, you know, A's were really good, C's were really bad, B's are in the middle. And I realized uh, in third year, Joe would never really give an A or a C. Like, if he if he thought you did a really great job, you'd get a B plus. If he thought you'd really hack something out, you'd get a C minus. Like, after I realized that, I was thinking, like, well, it doesn't really matter if I, you know, do a great job or a bad job because I'm going to get some form of a B. Right. So, yeah, I actually didn't put as much effort into a lot of Joe's assignments because of that after Mm. I realized that. Um, You know, because there were were other teachers or other classes I found more important. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that was the right thing for me to do, but that's that was my attitude at the time. 
Um, yeah, I mean, when you're that age, you just don't, you know, you don't yeah, have you know, a full you're, appreciation. You're, in your late teens, your early 20s, you're, you know, you think you've got it all figured out, but you obviously don't. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are so many things I could look back on and say, you know, you ask, just do it this way. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Jose uh, Delbo, here's the thing that amazed me about Jose. We had him for, I believe it was basic drawing first year. And he'd give an assignment, and it was usually like drawing a comic page or something like that. Uh, something like, you know, oh, well, you know, Jimmy Olsen is coming in on this thing, and you got to draw Jimmy, and you got to draw his car. You figure out what make and model of the car it is. And he would, he would critique our assignments, and he'd be like, well, this shot doesn't quite work. You're, you could do it uh, uh, this way. And he'd slap a piece of tracing paper on top of your assignment and show you an alternate way to approach it. And the amazing thing is we had a class of 25, 30 students, and he, he didn't have, like, one stock way of telling the story. You'd look at those, and he'd have dozens of different ways of telling the story. You'd, you'd compare those overlays, and they wouldn't look like each other. He, he didn't have, like, a stock shot of Jimmy Olsen pulling up in his car. No, he'd do a different angle and a different panel, and I was always amazed by that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Jose is a very underrated artist, never really got his due. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot from that guy. So, but I mean, it's just, it, yeah, it's funny the, the contrasting experiences that you have. I, I had a, a thing similar to your Jose story with, with Kim DeMolder in uh, Methods and Materials. I think it was my first year. It must have been first year where the assignment was to, uh, it was like a ghosting assignment where you're ghosting, where you're trying to draw in another artist style as much as possible. You know, okay. Right. Your style is a ghost. Right. You know? Um, so we were supposed to basically copy a page, a comic art as closely as we, as our abilities could allow. And I chose a page from, uh, Jerry Ordway's power of Shazam graphic novel. And it was, wow. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was more, well, Ordway was one of my favorites and it was, it was a page of like Captain Marvel, uh, just hovering above uh, the Black Adam in his real name. I forget what his real name is. And then there was an inset panel that was a nice close-up of, of Black Adam looking all Basil Rathbone-y. Um, and it was, it was a gorgeous page, and I, you know, tried my dandest on this page, and I, I did all this, and I was putting in every damn line that Ordway did. And, and when I, when we were critiquing it, we, we put all our our pages up on the in front of the chalkboard and you know, we get to my page and Kim's like, well, I don't know. It looks kind of over rendered. <laughs> and I was like, well, don't talk to me. Talk to Jerry Roadway. <laughs> the assignment was, was to duplicate the page as closely as possible, not do it in my own style. And, and yeah, Kim, Kim graded me down a bit for oh. that because he thought it was over rendered. And I was just, and I did not agree with that at all. And Kim, if you're listening, I still don't agree with it. I deserve an A for that page, damn it. <laughs> Some wounds just don't heal. But yeah, you know, it's just, it's funny the things you get worked up over. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I spent, the, as I mentioned, I mean, I spent the first two years of this, you know, really behind everybody in terms of drawing skill. And I was really <laughs> concerned, you know, that I just wasn't going to be able to, Really make this work for me because I thought you might get expelled or something. Not expelled because I always knew my grades were okay, but I just thought, how am I going to make a career out of this? Because my work right. just and the other thing I learned while I was there was, uh, you know, because I wanted to be a comic book artist since I was a, a kid, and once I got there, I realized, you know what, I don't think I want to do this for a living. 
Um, because it was, first of all, I just knew my skill set just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, you know, I don't have 30 years to get great. Uh, and then the other thing was I found out that I didn't enjoy it. I, I found that like the stuff that I really liked was the laying out of a page and figuring out how to tell the story, but the nuts and bolts, the discovery, you know, yeah. But the, 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 the sitting there drawing the motorcycle or whatever, I was like, this is just torture. And other guys were not that way. Some guys, you know, Hey man, I drew this woman on a motorcycle and she's jumping off a cliff. And I'm like, boy, that is one killer render rendering of a woman on a motorcycle. And I just got no, no charge out of that. And so I ended up, getting more out of the non-comic book classes, the design right. classes, the, the the other things, and kind of blew off the comic book classes. And then most of my friends were the exact opposite. Right. You know, they blew off the design classes and really loved the comic book ones. And I had a – I think our second year we had a design course, and there was a teacher named Margo uh, who – I really took a shine to me because a lot of the guys, she was a very spacey kind of chick. You imagine she had like every Fleetwood Mac record and <laughs> like the comic book guys just had no time for her, you know, cause yeah. she, she would talk very kind of like this and okay. And, you know, and the guys were like, I want to draw Batman, you know, and she, that was not her thing. And yet she really right. took, took to me because I was like, Oh no, I'm into it. And one year we had an assignment where we had to design a uh, Macy's shopping bag. For Christmas, that was like like if Macy's hired mm -hmm. us to do you know the design for their their Christmas thing, right? And all the guys just blew it all. You know the guys were like, oh, I didn't do it, or whatever. And my idea was just a white bag with a red paint stripe and a green paint stripe under over above the word Macy's. That was it mm -hmm. on the white bag. So it was red, green, white Macy's, and it literally took me five minutes to do. Mm -hmm. And but I was like, I think there's something about this. And she saw it and she's like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. She was like, I literally could sell this to Macy's. Mm -hmm. And after that, like I was just a fair haired boy for her because I just she just loved it. And like I realized that I had found my calling in a lot of yeah. ways because I was like, OK, design and color. Those are my strengths. That sounds very you because you have you have a very clean graphic kind of art style. Thank Yeah. So yeah. it was like I that was how I found, you know, and. Uh, the, uh, and right around that same time, again, it was second year, I had a teacher named Stu that was teaching us some painting things. We had to paint – we had to do an album cover, you know, the Hootie and the Blowfish thing. But uh, we had to do we had to do an album. My, my Hootie and the Blowfish album cover was brilliant, Dan. Brilliant, Dan. It looked a lot like Batman. So we uh, uh, we had to design an album cover, and all the guys were just going to draw theirs because that's all they were doing was pen and ink. And I, at that point, I was just not interested in drawing anymore. And I was like – I was experimenting with collage and I was like – I asked Stu. I said, Stu, can I do this in collage? And he's like, yeah, I don't care. You know, I just, yeah. just make it an album cover. So I designed a wraparound cover of, of, for a Bob Dylan album that did not exist. And I, rem I still – yes. And I still <laughs> remember – I still remember that night sitting in my – the floor of my apartment, my bedroom, working on this thing. And it was the – Probably still to this day, the single most enjoyable moment of creation I've ever had uh -huh. because it was just – I was exploring something I'd never been able to do. And I was like dropping glue on things and putting paint and rearranging words and juxtaposing images. And it was just – and I had like Dylan music on in the background as I was listening to it. And it was just the most fun I ever had. And I remember I finished it. I put some fixative on it and I laid it on my bed. 
to let it dry. And then I walked over to the next apartment where uh, Tom Zoller lived because uh, he, him, we had adjoining apartments. And we were like watching Star Trek Next Generation or something. And his roommate happened to walk by and looked into my bedroom and saw it. And he saw it and he came out to me and he goes, Rob, did you, you just did that? I said, yeah. He goes, that's the greatest thing I've seen you do. And, and like, I knew that in some ways that was kind of an insult. He didn't mean it to be, but it was, but he also was true because Mm -hmm. it was the most pure thing I'd ever done. And I brought it into Stu and Stu loved it. And ever since after that, I did all my assignments in collage. Because uh, I and except for the ones I literally had to draw, but at that point I had sort of found what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I ended up getting work in collage for a couple of years afterwards. But it was like that was it took two and a half years, but I had found that moment because it was like okay, this is the thing that yeah. speaks to me. Because comic books, I want to read them, I want to enjoy them, and I'll, I'll always be in my life. But I'm not meant to draw them. And I, it took me to go to the Cupid School to learn that. But so be it. Because I just never had the skills you know an expensive lesson but a very worthwhile definitely an expensive lesson yeah (laughs) i mean but but you always remember those breakthrough moments like that and that's you know those are moments that like artists and or creative people in general just live for you know yeah yeah you know because they don't come around very often and so they're all the more valuable when they do yeah, I mean, it was great. It was great to be able to, you know. And I was willing to try the the, the thing. I remember I, I've told the story at the, on the show before about my thing about Joe Cooper tracing over my drawing, and that was the story I told on the episode we did about when he died. So I'm not going to repeat it mm-hmm. again here because everybody's already heard it. But the other drawing, I, I the other thing I think about is there was one year where Joe's assignment uh, was uh, to draw three pages of the crucifixion. Oh yes. Uh, okay, you got this assignment too. That that was oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So to draw the crucifixion. So I'm sitting on my lab board drawing <clears throat> a crucifixion, and I'm sitting next again to Tom Zoller, who is uh, Catholic. I am not that. And so I'm drawing the – first of all, I'm drawing all these – and I had like 25 people being crucified. Yeah. He's like, Rob, there's only three. <laughs> like, he's like, you've got like a crucifixion convention going on here. I'm like, oh, all right. So I have to erase all those guys. So I knew – you know, as I said, that my drawing skills were not up to snuff. So I had to kind of find workarounds to sort of get over the fact that I didn't have a handle on anatomy. So one of the things that I tried to do was the main image of Jesus with the crucifix walking Mm -hmm. through the, the, down the street was drawn realistically. But then the people Mm -hmm. in the background were done as abstract shapes. Cause I had loved and seen, I'd seen and loved the Bill Sienkiewicz Electra assassin miniseries, which was very Mm -hmm. painterly and abstract and I was like, well, let me try and mimic that, except I didn't have the skills to do it. So the first page is all these abstract shapes. Watch. I don't even know what the point of it was, but it, it, it visually it had some sort of at least interest to it. But the, the, the conceit just did not work by the time I got to the second page. And by the time I got to the third page, these are just these weird blocks, and it looks like nothing. Mm-hmm. And I remember bringing it in, being so ashamed of this assignment, and – it became sort of famous where my friends were sort of just laughing at how bad this was. And I knew how bad it was. And it got to the point where I literally gave page two and page three to different friends uh-huh. because I've said, we cannot have all three pages in the same space lest they rip open the fabric <laughs> of the universe. <laughs> Cause it was such a horrible sign. And Joe kind of was very kind. He was like, mm-hmm. your reach exceeded your grasp here. You know, right. you, you tried for something. Nice it. it was a nice way to put it. You tried for something. It clearly didn't work. 
but you tried. And I, I felt ashamed, but at the same time, I was like, well, I did try something different. But, I mean, to his credit, he did not rip me a new one or anything like that. Yeah, he sort of yeah. acknowledged that it didn't try. So you had this assignment? That was, for me, that was, I think, literally the last stuff I did at the Curate School. Okay. Um, and it was, it, it, that was an assignment I, I didn't have much interest in drawing uh, the crucifixion. And I... Oh, I hacked that sucker out. I, <laughs> I did it as <laughs> this is how much I hacked it out. I did it as three full splash pages. Oh boy! Uh... <laughs> One page, first page was just Jesus carrying the cross on his back through you know a crowd of people, as few people as I could get away with drawing. Second page, just a close up of Jesus. <laughs> oh boy. Third page, the the him him on the cross, largely in silhouette. Oh. Oh man! And, the silhouette, and, every artist's friend. Exactly, exactly. And it was, oh, uh, it was, it was just horrible. And it was, uh, you know, I was doing it just to get done, just so I could get the credit and, you know, actually officially graduate. Right, you get the hell out of there. Yeah. But one of my classmates, he did the best version of it. It was um, Daryl Shell. It, it, he was. Um, not a religious guy, as, as far as I know. Did not care for this assignment at all. And so he he started out with uh, typically Jesus on the cross. And then the second page, the the, the cross is struck by lightning. Oh, no! <laughs> turning into Captain oh! And the third page is Jesus uh, like a super... Uh, steroided out Jesus, like super Jesus, swinging the cross around, batting Romans back and forth. Oh my God! And it was it That's was a real uh, Kobayashi Maru move. There, it was so wrong. It was gorgeous. That is brilliant. I mean, really, if you're going to just go in, go, so, you know, it was oh, so wow. twistedly brilliant. It's what, what did it's, what did Joe say about it? Do you remember? Gosh, I don't, I don't remember. I think we were all just too swept up in what he did to pay attention to what Joe said. Oh, wow. Holy. Oh my God. It was wonderful. Oh yeah. I mean, we, I wish, I wish I had copies of those oh, pages. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I don't, I don't think even, even Daryl Shell has them anymore, but. Um, it was the best thing ever. The, the only time I think we ever angered Joe, and this was very mild, but was when one year we had these pictures where we had a friend that we, uh, we, we you know, it was in our class named Miguel. Great guy, real gregarious, fun guy, and was kind of willing to do anything. Just one of those kinds of guys. So we did this thing where he – now the the, the, school, the, the the classes we were on, the, the school, the uh, friend, you know, for people who have been to the school, it's elevated. So you walk up steps to get to the first floor. So by yeah. the time you get to the second floor, you're a good 20 feet off the ground. Maybe maybe not 20, like 15. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, you know, it's not something you want to just jump out of. So anyway, we did this thing where I forget where the teacher was, but we actually dangled M- Miguel out of the window. Oh, my God. By his fingertips. And I was on the grass below taking pictures. like, And it looked like we were forcing him out the window. And, th- <laughs> and then... We he jumped out. He came back in. He came out around. He stood by the window and jumped high in the air. And I took pictures of him there, so it looks like he was falling. Oh! And wow. I made this as a sequence, and it was on the collage that was the final assignment that we had to do, our closing assignment. And I showed this to Joe, and Joe took a look took a look at those photos of us dangling Miguel out the window, and he just goes, 
Good thing I wasn't in that day. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm sure okay. you've just seen the lawsuits. <laughs> We're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Sad. Sorry, Joe. Uh, yeah. That was the, that was the most he ever yelled at us. I mean, he had, I, you know, he was a scary dude, so he didn't need to do much more than that. Yeah, yeah. He, Joe is, yeah. He could be very intimidating, uh, you know, but he, but he also had like a great deal of charisma. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, he was he was just he was a compelling guy to listen to, you know. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think probably probably the wisest thing I heard in my three years there was uh, something that Joe had told me. Uh, I I had like a, like a private meeting with him at one point when my morale was like really low, and he was nice enough to take the time to speak to me. Hmm. Um, you know, and it was not easy to like get an appointment with him. I remember Debbie Kubert was just like, "Well, what do you want to talk to him about?" And I was just thinking, like, "Well, that's not really any of your business." <laughs> your business, Ilsa. And <laughs> um. But, you know, I, uh, he was nice enough to take the time and talk to me and try and help me through what I was going through at the time. And I remember at one point he said, and this was like in the early 90s, so it's the early days of computer coloring in comics. And it was, you know, before a lot of people really learned how to use computer coloring. So you're seeing them do things like blurring out the backgrounds. Yeah, and, oh yeah. And, you know, the going nuts with the lens flares and oh, all that. Yeah. And yep. the sort of excesses that you see in the first few years of any technology. And Joe said at one point, he was like, you know, we've reached a point where the colorist has more control over what the final page looks like than the inker does. And it used to be like the inker was the one who who controlled right. that the most. Right. You know, and the coloring was just like another because in the days of flat color, there's only so much a colorist can do. Right. Uh, but, you know, now they have all these filters and all the, you know, whiz bang buttons and effects and everybody's all enamored of the effects. And I, I really thought that was one of the, the most insightful things I heard, you know, and it was from a guy who'd been in the business since the forties, you know, and I thought that was, that was pretty amazing that he recognized that. Yeah. We, uh, we told, I forget how it came up, but we mentioned to him when we were, you know, we had him that, um, there was a character called Lobo who was this, yeah. you know, badass guy. He of course wasn't familiar with Lobo. And we mentioned to him that DC had just published a book called Lobo's Wit and Wisdom, which was 30 blank pages. Right. And I remember he was like, wait, the book is blank? And we're like, yeah, that's the joke, Wit and Wisdom of Lobo, and it's a blank book. And I remember he just dropped his head. <laughs> and it was just sort of like, this was the company I used to work for. Like, it just sounded so <laughs> like... i wasted my life. Yeah, not, not so much that, just more like, my God, what's happened to them? You know, just like, what what happened to the good old days of when, when we were there? You know, we were actually publishing stories about stuff. And here they are publishing blank comics. You know, he just thought that was just, he just couldn't conceive of it. I, I have a memory of, like, when, when I was there at the Kubert School, this was, uh, I was actually there during the year that Marvel declared bankruptcy. Ah, yes. They filed Chapter 11. That was in, well, I think, like around 96. You know, uh, if I, I think I have that right. So that would have been, like, Christmas of my third and final year there at the Kubert School. It's a three-year school. And... It happened like over our Christmas break, I think. And and when we came back, I remember Joe was like speaking to us and he was telling us how this wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And I don't remember what his rationale was, but it was it, it, it was incredible because a lot of us were understandably worried because we we're like, there aren't going to be any jobs. There aren't going right, to be yeah. jobs waiting for us when we graduate. What are we doing this for? And uh, and like something Kim DeMolder, uh told me later was like, you know, well, you know, in Joe Kubert's world, you know, bad stuff like that doesn't really happen. Because if, like, if you look at the arc of Joe's career, 
he didn't necessarily have like the ups and downs that most artists do. It was just kind of up, 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 up. It was yeah. just a steady uptick. Yeah, got more respected, got did more interesting things as he got older. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, he was just going from like triumph to triumph to triumph. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm sure he had his down periods, but you, you couldn't really see those looking at it from the outside. But, uh, yeah, so, you know. So, you know, Kim was like, yeah, well, it's not too bad in Joe's world because at the end of the day, he's still Joe Kubert. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so we we're like, yeah, that's a good point, Kim. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it said he was doing, you know, near the end of his life, he was doing uh, the facts from Sarajevo. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, so, yeah, he said he was, you know, one of these just amazing. I always kind of avoided him when I wasn't in class. I saw him down the hall. Mm-hmm. I would kind of not. You know, not unfriendly, but I was yeah. just so intimidated that I just didn't. You know, I think a lot of students were. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard that before. Now, or um, there's two things I want to get in. What two things I want to get to before we we wrap up? Because I could go on forever talking about this, and every, this mm. and everyone who's listening to the show, there's only scratching the surface of stories that we have. But there's, uh, I need to ask you. But did you have uh, Tex Blaisdell as a teacher? Yeah, Tex. Uh, <laughs> Tex Blaisdell. The greatest human being to ever walk the earth. Oh, Tex. He was, how old was he? A million. (laughs) A million. I mean, we used to joke, like, when the first fish, like, crawled out of the water (laughs) to evolve, you know, Tex was there on the beach just going, what the hell took you so long? (laughs) (laughs) With a cigar and a, you know. Tex, I, I feel kind of bad that I didn't avail myself of Tex as much as I could have. Because Me too. Me too. Tex. Tex was he was a very old guy and not in the best of health. His his posture was just it was he just had this hooked posture. Oh yeah, he's permanently from so many over, years yeah. of just literally slumping over the the drawing board. Yep. Um, you know, and he would just like sort of sit there quietly up at the top of the class, and you almost hated to disturb him. Mm-hmm. You know, but every once in a while you get these these little the, this fount of wisdom, or he'd just tell this fascinating story. Um, you know, he, he showed me like a technique, like, a an old, uh, Hal Foster, Prince Valiant, uh, kind of technique of, of, you know, doing chainmail armor, you know, where you're, when you're inking, you're, you, you're going from like a thick line to a thin line or vice versa to kind of give it some form and depth. And, you know, I, I would think of text whenever I'd ink something like that. Mm-hmm. And, but he also had like fascinating stories. He like... Like Alex Raymond, the guy who did Flash Gordon, uh, died in a car wreck. I was just about to tell this story. Go ahead, oh, oh, no, you, no, 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 you go so, ahead. You go ahead. I'm literally... Texas, like borrowed Alex's car, like yeah. literally, like the week before, <laughs> and then like thought, "Oh, this runs horribly. I'm gonna give it back to Alex," <laughs> or something like that. Well, see now the version that he told us is yeah, that you're, he you're he, he told us that. He got tapped to take to either take over for Alex Raymond. He couldn't have been completely taking over, but like assist Alex Raymond or come on board mm-hmm. with Alex Raymond to do Flash Gordon. And this was in an era where people that did their own comic strips were like millionaires. I mean, right. like like Chester Gould was, that was a, what everybody aspired to. Yeah, do. I mean, you yeah. were that was, Chester Gould was a millionaire. Alex Raymond and Al you know, Cap was on Al like, Cap you know, talk shows and stuff. Exactly, you were like a celebrity. And so uh, Tex got tapped to work on Flash Gordon, and then like a week later, Alex Raymond wrapped his car around a tree, mm. and like the whole the whole thing just got canceled. 
And yeah. Tex, and Tex was still bitter about it, but mad at Alex Raymond. He wasn't worried about Alex Raymond's health. He was just <laughs> mad at Alex Raymond. He's like, "God damn son of a bitch! I could have." Uh. And um, he used to say this stuff to us, where like, there was a man and a woman in our in our class who were married, but they mm-hmm. eerily looked alike. <laughs> and they both were had short brown hair, glasses, same build. And they were from the South, and so the joke was over, like, oh, yeah, you're related yeah. and you're married. You know what I mean? It was like not, you know. And so Tex, on our first day, Tex is taking role, and he's like, is there, he's like, uh, and I won't say the guy's name. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. change it to something. He goes, uh, John Smith. And John raises his hand, and he goes, huh, do you have a sister in another class named D. Smith? Mm-hmm. And everyone starts laughing because he's like, <laughs> and then you know, he's like, what? And somebody mentions to him that it's kind of, and he goes, oh, I guess I really stepped in at that time. And you're like, you didn't need to actually say that text. You could just, that was the, you know, it was like text making the subtext text at that point. Um, the one thing we remember, uh, well, and I, okay, I've mentioned before on the show that he lived with us in the, in Cl- the Clinton house, in the yes. Clinton house on from yes. Thurs- Thursdays to Fridays. And so we got to spend time with him where he sat and inked his pages and smoked and ate his yogurt. And uh, he let me ink a panel of a Justice League annual, which was the first time I ever t- touched a comic book page. Um, but uh, he told us a story about his. Well, his daughter came to visit him once. This was just before the Christmas break, mm-hmm. and so his daughter was coming to pick him up. How old was his daughter? Uh, she was an adult. I mean, she was like probably in her thirties by that okay. point. So she was coming by to take Tex to visit for the long Christmas break or something. And we start peppering her for stories. You know, we're like, come on, what was it like to have Texas a dad, you know? <laughs> and she said that one morning she remembers it was Christmas Eve and Wally Wood had come over. Wow. And, yeah, just that. Wally Wood had come, and o- had come over. That's all the story you need. Yeah, really. And so Tex and Wally are drinking, of course. Right. And she went to bed. Shocking. Shocking. She went to bed because it's Christmas. You know, you got to go to bed early. Santa's coming. And she hears a bunch of racket outside. And, of course, she's a kid and thinks, it's uh-huh. Santa, it's Santa. She runs downstairs quite, and she sees it is not Santa. It is Tex and Wally out in the snow peeing for distance. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and we're just like, and Tex just, like, did not deny it. And we're just like, we were falling out of our chair laughing so hard. We're just like, oh, my God. Got further than Woody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was just such a great guy. And, and I so thoroughly enjoyed having, you know, having him around in our house just for that he, one night. was When so he passed cool. away, uh, I can't remember for sure what year it was, but uh, we had been out of school for a few years. We went and had a wake. Like a party in his honor over Kim DeMulder's place. Oh, that's oh, that sounds and great. It was, you know, it was it was wonderful. We, you know, and it was you're seeing a lot of, you know, the old classmates, the other people you haven't seen for a few years, and it was partying. You you break off into conversations, but Kim, like every every fifteen twenty minutes, he would just like sort of bang his glass, and and we'd have like we'd raise our glasses to Tex, oh. you know, just have a, a toast to remember why we were there, you know, and that's that was great. it was great. Te- Tex was. He was just a kick. He was. He was. He was absolutely uh, was. I, I, he worked on, in some fashion, the Manhattan Project. <laughs> he'd, he'd, like, been recruited to do this thing, and I don't know what it was. It was, like, I guess some sort of artistic thing. And then, like, years after the fact, he, he 
put it together that he had worked on the Manhattan Project. <laughs> and he was telling us this in school, in school one day, and I, I don't remember the ins and outs of the story very well at this point, but we were all just like gape-jawed yeah. <laughs> listening uh, to this. <laughs> I have a picture of uh, me and Dan O'Connor and another classmate of ours standing behind Tex at his table, and we, we wrote the cryon, uh, yeah. the the the... the the three young Jedi's and the master below it, and I still have that photo. And I think I, I would have seen that on your Facebook or something. Yeah, I still I love that photo because it's just it's just amazing. So, well, anyway, I said we're gonna we want to. Uh, uh, oh, one, yeah. one more yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I have text did like drawings for us of you know for the, for the class. Like I think it was the last day of school or something, and he would do like just the most perverse uh, yeah <laughs> things. Yep. But my friend Lawson, he has one of of. Uh, the devil like hanging up his tech suit at the end of the day. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the devil takes off his tech skin and then puts it up on a hanger. <laughs> and I have somewhere, I don't know where this drawing is. I should find it. A drawing of text holding, like he's, he's sitting down and he's holding like a little, there, there's this little girl on his hand and his hands like up the skirt and Tex is saying, they think she's just a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's the text drawing that I have. Oh, man. Just, and he was just doing all these wonderfully perverse things and just, you know, probably doing them straight to pen, just like falling off a oh, wall. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Because yep. Tex had done it all. He'd seen it all. He, you know, it, he was amazing, you know? Yep. There wasn't anything he couldn't do. Yeah, he was a, a very, very interesting guy. Very yeah. interesting guy. So, um, like, so I'm gonna we're gonna wrap up here because, like I said, John and I could go on a lot longer. Like when I first brought the idea of John and I talking about this, I thought, well, we'll get like maybe an hour out of it. And well, no, we're like at 90 minutes, and we're still. I still have so much more other stuff we can get into. But I, I texted Rob right before we started. I was like, I hope I remember enough to make this interesting. Yeah, they so, think they got, I hope I did. You know, the wounds are still again. The wounds are still fresh. So you know, I haven't even told stuff. the story about me knocking myself out on one of the doors of the Kubert school. See, there you go. We'll have to, right, we'll have, to have you back for part two. <laughs> have but, me back and I'll tell that story. Um, <laughs> you wrap up, the thing I want to ask, uh, ask you, and I have my own version of this, is what do you take away from ultimately from that experience, either, either as a professional, as an artist, or just as a, like, as a person? Like, what do you think you learned the most from your years there? Well, I'd say first and foremost, uh, the, the thing I've taken away in, in life is I've met some of my best friends through through that right. my, my friends Lawson Carolyn Wallace who met and and got married while they were there at the school they're still some of my best friends um, you know for like over 20 years at this point uh, my friend Frankie Vitarello who left there I was best man at his wedding I mean that's incredible like the people who've, who've touched my life through that um, you know as an as an artist it, it made me a much more capable artist you know I learned so much there I mean it but you know, it was intense. Like when when people ask me if they should go to the Gibbert School, like the my standard line is, you know, you should go if it's if, if it's what you want to do more than anything else in the world. You know, if it's something you only sort of want to do, don't bother. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's you know it's too much time and it's too much work and it's too much money to <laughs> to do it unless you just you know love 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 comics. Yeah. You know. Um, but, you know, they also had, like, an, the animation division, and I know people who, who like, you know, like, it was, you, all the, all the first-year students would take the same classes, and then they'd split off. Right, right. And there were, there were about, 
10 animation students, I think, for second and third year, and they, they took a more intensive animation program. And, uh, you know, a couple of my classmates from there, um, Gabe Swar and, and Derek Wyatt, they went on to, like, work with, with uh, John Kay, and, and, like, Derek worked on the, the Teen Titans cartoons. Mm. And, you know, they, they've made wonderful careers for themselves. Um, you know, so they, so they learned a lot there. What else have I taken away from, from the school? I don't know. What, what did you take away, Rob? Ultimately, uh, I, the thing I learned probably more than anything else is that, and I came to the school with this a little bit, but the school really uh, sharpened it to a fine point, is getting organized and yeah. getting disciplined to get this Work stuff. Ethic. Yeah, work ethic. I don't think I was ever late with a single assignment. Admit sometimes probably I should have been, but I was very, I was very determined to just be like, I'm going to do this in the time frame I'm given because that is the career that I've set out for myself. And I have found that 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 skill has helped me in not only when I was an illustrator where I was a freelancer, I, I did it part time for for ten years and then I did it full time for another ten. But it's it's helped me in life. Uh, and yeah. you know the job I'm in now, I'm not at all in the arts. I'm I'm in the movie trailer business, and that takes an enormous amount of organization. And I have benefited. Multitasking. Multitask, yeah, and being you know learning. This has got to be done by this, and make time for this, and spend a little more time on this now because later on you'll be able to not. And I learned a lot of that at the Cupid School, and it is it has helped me. Uh, in good stead. When I was said, when I was a freelance illustrator and I did it for ten solid years, I never was late with a, an assignment ever. I never turned a single job in late. And no matter what deadline a client threw at me, I could do it. I could find a way to make it. You know, make. I had magazine assignments that were like, "Hey, that guy we had you draw last week, he dropped. Uh, he canceled. So here's the new person we got to do. We need it by tomorrow." Right. And I, and I could do it. And I could get it done because I was good at that. And so like I said, it's, it served me in good stead all these years of just being highly organized. And that's helped me with all my blogging and all the other projects I've ever had to do. And uh, that, mm -hmm. that came from the Cupid School. It was learning, like you mentioned, 10 classes a week. You know, you didn't have – not like I had any women uh, around me anyway. So there wasn't any distractions. It was just work, work, no, work. No, I, I, I did not – I don't think I went on – you know, I, I, the only dates I went on during the time I was at the Cuber School was, was during the summertime. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't have any social life outside of, like, yep. going to the occasional movie with yep. my with classmates. guys, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, and it's mostly guys. We, we started – my class started with, like, literally five women in the <laughs> – out of 150. Oof. So <laughs> – I think we had two. And the yeah. one left, so it was like one at the end of the thing. But yeah, so that's that's what I take for it. And that, like I said, that that travels with me no matter what I do, and that it, and it has helped me tremendously of just learning to work within the parameters that you're given and and be effective at that. And that's something not everybody's been able to do. And but uh, so that's you know, so even though I'm not an artist anymore, and I don't, and I never got into comics, I don't regret ever going to the Cuban school because, like you said, I have friends to this day. That I, you know, that I've known now, known for, you know, we're going on uh, what twenty five years, yeah, uh, and that's, you know, we still, still friends, you know, to this day, to that, to this day, and uh, so it, 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 it's something that not everybody gets to do, and it was funny because, you know, you had come at it from a very more pragmatic view because you were there and I was there, and you dealt with all the crap and all the nonsense, but it's like when I started mentioning my background at the Cupid School on the podcast, and these were things that people didn't know about. I mean, people, some people were, like, amazed. You know, they were just like, 
you went to the yeah because they were like you went to the like it just seemed like this amazing thing and to me it's not amazing because i went but it's like you just you know what i mean i realized well not that many people got to go so every time on the show when it comes up some artist you know when we do the who's who episodes and i mentioned tom yates or rick veach and i go hey cubert school graduates jan dursimek cubert school you know and i take that sense of pride because it's like yeah i went there i went lee you know like hey man i went there too so it it was a you know altogether rewarding experience if at the time it didn't necessarily seem that way yes yeah i mean definitely i mean yeah what you said about the work ethic and the discipline and the organization yeah it, it definitely taught me lessons there, you know, I can't, I can't say like you that I didn't never missed a deadline when I was there. You know, I can still be somewhat deadline challenged as, uh, as my, my editor, Michael Yuri at back issue can tell you, <laughs> <laughs> but I still, you know, if I, if I'm turning something in late, I still try to make it worth the wait. So. Right, right. Uh, so I, well, I said, I think we're going to stop here. We could say we go on a lot longer, but you know, maybe we have to stop at some point. So, uh, John, I want to mention that if people want to find John's artwork, you can you can look at um, the the line. It must be drawn column. Well, I'm not I'm not regularly contributing there anymore, but you can look at the okay. old ones and you can look at the old ones. See, All right, where can them. and you write as you mentioned, you can write articles for back issue. But where can people find your artwork if people want to see? Uh, and they should oh, they should find it because good stuff. You can you can you know the easiest place would be on uh, my DeviantArt page. You can look on there. It's uh, John Trumbull. Dot DeviantArt, uh, J-O-H-N-T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L at DeviantArt. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm doing, like Rob, I'm doing some writing for Back Issue Magazine. I've got uh, some articles coming up in the next few months uh, in 80, 81, and 82. Um, I talk about the uh, the genesis of, of Ganthet's Tale, the Green Lantern one-shot that John Byrne did from the Larry Niven story. And I talked to Larry Niven in that. Um, in 81, I've got an uh, article about the uh, deluxe reprints that DC Comics did in the 1980s. And I have an interview with Neil Adams, Ooh. which was fun. Yes, he's an interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, <laughs> um, slightly. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, I just talked to Neil Adams, you know, like you do. I thought Joe Kubert was intimidating. I know, I know. That was that was a day. Um, and in 82, I talk all about... Um, DC's uh, DC Comics's post-crisis crossovers like Legends, Millennium, Invasion, War of the Gods, and what's the other one that I'm forgetting? Zero Hour. Uh, no, no, it cut off before Zero Hour. Okay. It came out the same year as War of the Gods. Um, Armageddon 2001. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so I cover you know all the triumphs and trials and tribulations of those series. All right. So. Very cool. Hey, well, thank you, John. I, I appreciate you doing the show. I hope you had a good time. We had, yeah, we had a, you know, I said, I hope everybody enjoys this because it's going down. And if we ever want to do another one, we could because we have so many more stories to tell. It's ridiculous. Hopefully so, we didn't slander too many people in this one. Hopefully. So. Well, we'll find out. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, thanks so much again for doing the show. We appreciate it. I hope everybody enjoyed it. And until next week, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land. Man and
Firestorm. Super friends forever. Yeah. Dundee, oh Dundee, think of birds in the sky or a rainbow on high. That's Dundee, little Dundee, with a song in his heart and a star in his eyes. That's Dundee, little Dundee.